Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm your host, Albert Hardy. Today, I want to talk about some things that are happening in the church and what's the future of it. And is there any value in going to church anymore? Let's just see. I have a, an article here written by Jan Markell. What happened to my church? I'd like to quote this thing for you and uh, just see what we can find in here of any value prophetically. She's a prophecy teacher and a radio host known across the country and around the world, even in Israel. But here's what she writes. Church issues are the most frequently, no, I'm sorry, are the most frequent inquiry I get out here at Olive Tree Ministries. Other leaders tell me the same. What has happened in the last 30 to 40 years? Many people visit church after church only to walk away disheartened. Others are lifetime members of a church of one particular denomination or another, I've noticed, and have seen changes that left it unrecognizable, spiritually speaking. At first, members and attendees wonder if they are being a bit too judgmental. But the sad reality eventually sinks in that something has gone terribly wrong. My background is in a fundamental church in Minneapolis that delivered verse-by-verse messages and had frequent prophecy conferences. You ever see those today? Not very many. Try to find it today, she says. You will find a few, but they are few and far between. The same church warned me about a coming apostasy back in the 1970s. But who knew it would get so bad starting somewhere in the 1990s? Nothing could have prepared me. First, it was music that became the great divider. Nobody minds some guitars and a bass guitar, but into the second decade of the 21st century, earplugs are handed out as one enters the church sanctuary. This happened in our church here locally in Sebring, Florida. Bible Fellowship Church, for example, had this big dispenser of these green earplugs you'd shove into your ears because the music was so loud you didn't even need ears to hear it at the time. Whoa, is this worship music? I kind of don't think so. Some churches open with a secular song, dim the lights, add some smoky fog, and have an atmosphere similar to the local bar or a nightclub. All of this is to enhance choruses that will be sung two dozen times by a hypnotized um, church or by hypnotized church members. I would learn that it is to attract seekers, a 21st century term. 
Bill Hybels admitted that he came up with the term, but confessed it didn't work well in his own church. Interesting. Organs and pianos were tossed out 25 years ago because they did not promote, quote-unquote, church growth. The over-age 55 crowd was on their own. (laughs) I'm in that camp, by the way. Some churches threw them a bone with an 8 a.m. service for those old gray heads. That trend began, quote, the great divide, unquote, between generations. Someone made a conscious decision that we should have a new way of doing church, quote, unquote. Although many members and attendees agreed there was nothing wrong with the old ways of doing church, terms began being used like, quote, purpose-driven, unquote, and, quote, seeker-sensitive, and church growth movement, and postmodernism, and emergent, and others. People started to hear about love and unity, and tolerance. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, boy. Um, We must be known for what we agree on, not what we disagree on. Everything and everyone must be accepted. Aberrations must be accepted. Sin must be accepted. People love to have their ears tickled. They would be encouraged to feel good, and have their self-esteem built up. Sound doctrine was being set aside. I like this quote from uh, Daniel Prager, Prager University. He said, The only self-esteem that works is that which is earned, (laughs) not just handed out. That's pretty cool. I like him and what he's doing. The next sentence bothers me a bit. I'll tell you why. Here's what she says. The saving of souls was being set aside for the entertainment factor and social justice causes. Now, why would I disagree with any of that? All right, well, what's this saving of souls? What does that mean? Have you ever seen a soul? Um, Absolutely. Yes, I have seen lots of souls. Every time I see a human being, I see one. But she's talking about a a spiritual, ethereal, hard-to-define something in a human being. The saving of that soul, you know, is a spiritual matter. So I have a bit of a conflict with that. A soul is a person, It's a person. It's not some mystical, ethereal nothing, you know, a mental gymnastic or something. No. She goes on. It seemed that many in the church no longer cared that so many were on their way to hell. And that's an exclamation. What an offensive, intolerant thought. But clearly, sound doctrine will separate and divide, so we must tread lightly in that area. 
Um, no. No, let's just tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Now, this idea of being on their way to hell is an abomination, according to God in the Bible. Let's take a look at that. It's in uh, Jeremiah 32, in verse 35. Well, I'm going to back up to 34. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, the church, to defile it. Verse 35, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination and to cause Judah to sin. Now, what's he talking about here? In the Valley of Hinnom, they used to set up this god called Moloch, Molech, Malek, and um, other names. But this was a metal god. They'd burn a, a giant bonfire on the inside of this thing, and it would get red hot. And then they would lay their naked babies on the arms of this thing into its hands and the baby would fry to death. What a horrible, terrible thing. And then God turns around and because somebody didn't accept him, instead of allowing him to die the death and stay dead permanently, he burns him forever in hell. Don't you see the disparity there between the two? Is God a hypocrite? At first, he's upset with these people because they do something like this, burning an innocent little baby to death to this pagan foreign god that's made of metal, can't see, hear, talk, walk, crawl, nothing. It's not even alive. So... He's burning, in, or they're burning uh, innocent people, little baby children, to this pagan god that can't even, it's not alive. And then he turns around and does the same exact thing, only not just till they die, but forever. And granted, they're not innocent. They're not innocent. And is that the difference? Would he torture and torment? Is there any other hint in the Bible that said God is like that? Is he not known for his mercy? Yes. Well, let's see another scripture here. This is in uh, Matthew 18. And let's see, verse... 34. And, you know, this is the parable. Well, I'll just, I'll read the whole thing here. It won't take long. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, and this is in the King James language, by the way, uh, which would take account of his servants 
And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not anything to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, so that payment would be made. The servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything I owe. Well, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. This is depicting God. Moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's what God does. But that same servant went out and found his one of his fellow servants, which owed him a dollar, a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. But he would not. And he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord what was done. And then his Lord, after he had called him, said, Oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And the Lord was wroth, very angry, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise will my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I want to read that in the NLT for a second. Let's back up to 32. This is uh, Matthew 18. Matthew eighteen thirty two. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. So what do we learn there? God will torture for a time, and that is until the entire debt was paid, if he showed no mercy. The object of God is to reconcile to himself all people. That's his desire. Now, where do I find that in Scripture? It's in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise and coming back, in other words, as some people think. No, he's being patient, waiting for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come 
as an une- as unexpectedly as a thief. Well, anyway, that's enough. The, the point is that he wants everyone to come to repentance and to change and not be destroyed. See, people will be destroyed in hell. Hell is a fire that is intent to kill people, to kill those rebels who can't stand God, who don't want God, who don't want to live. And there are a few like that. I have known a few. Uh, I don't get it, but to me it's very strange that people would want that. But anyway, she says, she goes on, um, but clearly sound doctrine will separate and divide. Yes, I agree with that. So we must tread lightly? No, let's let the truth be the truth. Relevant issues, she says, have vanished. Agreed. Pulpits have become afraid to talk about voting on biblical values. Yep, that's right. Why? Because they're afraid to lose their 501c3 status, tax exempt. They don't want to pay taxes. Pastors quit speaking in favor of marriage between a man and a woman, at least, and against abortion. They don't talk about, excuse me, they don't talk about that. It seemed like an 11th commandment came into the church. You shall not offend. Well, shame on us as a church. Taking a stand was clearly over. Well, that's what I'm trying to do here on Bible Prophecy Radio. She says, when it came to issues like Bible prophecy, the silence was deafening or became deafening. People were told that this was divisive, although rock music in the church in the church apparently was not. Then this next statement is, to me, uh, needs to be looked at. Millions are going to be left behind in the rapture of the church. But there are no warnings about this going out from hardly any church anymore, in other words. Instead, pulpits are dispensing Osteen-type messages that talk about, quote-unquote, your best life now on this broken, corrupt planet. All right, there's a lot here. We are not living on a broken, corrupt planet. We are broken, corrupt people living on a wonderful planet, a beautiful planet, a gorgeous planet. So let's make that one distinction right there. But millions are going to be left behind at the rapture? Oh, boy. Well, is there really a rapture before the trouble starts? No, not in my view. Study the scriptures. Study all the scriptures about the rapture or about the gathering or about the um, uh, snatching away. And you will find that there's no thing like that. It's at the last trump, not at the first one. 
So sorry to offend you, but hopefully you're not one of the ones that accept stuff like that. Now, I have mentioned before that I talked to Jerry Jenkins myself. He's the co-writer or the with writer um, of the series called the Left Behind series. Well, I went to Orlando, Florida to talk with him. I shook his hand and I said, can I ask you one question? He said, sure. I said, did you base the Left Behind series on the Bible or is that just fiction? He said, fiction. Without a, a equivocation or a thought, he just said fiction. He was very open and honest about it. Tim LaHaye, it was his idea to create this based on the idea of a pre-trib rapture. But it's fiction, folks. Let's just face it. It's fiction. Millions are going to be left behind. Well, let's see what Jesus taught about this. It's found in Matthew 13 and verse 30. Here's what it says. I'm going to back up to 24. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. Dropping down to um, verse 27. The farmer's workers went and said to him, well, I'm sorry, let's just read the whole thing. But that night, Let's let's start over. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which I love. When the crop began to grow and produce fruit, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir... The field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? They asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat into my barn. First things first here. First thing to do is to bind the weeds into bundles and burn them. And then they were to gather the wheat and put it in the barn. I personally want to be a wheat, not a weed the wheat is gathered last, not first. The weeds are gathered first and burnt. So thank you very much. Leave me behind. I, don't, I, I want to be left behind. Now, let's continue. This is just a short explanation as to why emails and letters pour into this ministry, and that's Jan Markle's uh, Olive Tree Ministry, 
and others about, about how they might find a healthy, relevant church in their neighborhood. Yeah, well, good luck with that. On page two, she writes, In 2017, my friend Terry James invited me to submit a chapter in his proposed book titled Deceivers, Exposing Evil Seducers and Their Last Day's Deception. I had been doing Christian radio across the country for many years, and as I had researched for my programs, I remained or I was reminded daily that uh, there had been a straying away from sound doctrine. Yes, that's true. I was confronted with the fact that I had two choices. I could overlook this or expose it. I took the warnings to watchmen in Ezekiel 33 very seriously and determined to confront the false teaching head on and tell the truth about it. I did not want the blood on my hands, she says. I knew this would cost me listeners and friends. I would soon find out that certain radio stations would marginalize me and even ban me for the naming of names. Was this price too high, she writes. I began research by tracing the history of false doctrine and reckless church movements going back to the early 1900s to the, uh, to the present, from mystical madness such as so-called Christian yoga to the experiential of the new apostolic reformation, wolves were prowling around the flock. At the same time, I saw that discernment was going over a cliff as books like The Shack and Jesus Calling were embraced as much as the Bible. Are you kidding me? What a hunk of junk that... Oh, never mind. An entire um, movement sprang up around Todd Bentley, who kicked people, sick people, with his biker boot to heal them, and this was celebrated. Wow. Evangelical organizations like the NAE, which I'm assuming is the North American, even, or the National Association of Evangelicals, embrace global warming, of all things. What a lie. And called for America to destroy all her nukes. What does this have to do with the gospel? What is the gospel again? Well, it's the good news that we have a king who's coming back to rule and reign over all the earth, setting up a real true kingdom with territory, subjects, laws, goods and services, and so forth, as we talked last week. She said, I observe something called the Laughing Revival, and concluded that it wasn't so funny. She said, I could go on and on. So I'm going to drop down here to the end. Members of a local church may or may not have or be members of the universal church, i.e. the Catholic church maybe, depending on their genuineness of faith. The local church is where believers can fully apply the body principles of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
encouraging, teaching, and building one another up in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then she says, Christ died for the church, and we cannot give up on it. And then, quote, a heavenly endless church service awaits us in eternity with a celestial choir and orchestra. I have a real problem with every word of that line. No. Where's that in the Bible? Show me one verse that says there will be an, a heavenly endless church service. Would that be fun for you? Would you like that? Not me. No, thank you. There's work to be done, folks. But anyway, the last couple lines here, the preaching will also be out of this world. Huh? We'll all be one denomination. Well, I can agree with that, and that would be a good thing. The bickering will be over with. We won't insist on our own way. We'll finally be in one accord. Well, this heavenly endless church service is a myth. There's no such thing found anywhere in Scripture that I know of. The preaching will be out of this world. Well, yeah, well, out of this world can mean a lot of things, but to me, it means just what the Bible said. God is the creator and he is the sustainer of all life, and there will be life in the planets throughout the universe. See Isaiah forty-five eighteen, Isaiah 40, verse 22, and Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 16, and lots of other, uh, excuse me, other places. But for now, I'm going to have to stop. Feel free to go to my website. It's There's no ads, nothing for sale. Don't want your email address. It's jesusiswhy.com. So until next time, I'm Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.